Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Dewan Bent-Dwyford. Uh, she has personally flipped over 2,000 properties and has taught thousands of people how to become financially free. She is known as the queen of short sales and is an expert on short sales, foreclosures, uh, subject to, while also writing three best-selling books. So thank you so much for coming on, Dewan. Hey, Charles. Thank you for having me on today, honey. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's great to uh, great to touch base with you again. Um, we were on a podcast about a week ago when I was being interviewed. And so this is awesome to have you on my show. And uh, so a little bit about your background. You have a very interesting background prior to getting involved in real estate, which I think most people do. They come on the show. But you um, tell us a little bit yeah. about your background, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved with real estate investing and coaching. So um, I, I basically got into real estate investing in my early 30s, like 31, 32, like, you know, around in there. So in my 20s, I always tell people in my 20s, it was the 80s. And I think unless you like lived in the 80s, people don't understand it was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of partying. There was a lot of clubbing. I was living in Fort Lauderdale. It's like, I was like living the high life. However, that gave me no job skills, you know, going forward. And one of my last jobs I had, I worked at Denny's on third shift. And this is 10 at night till six in the morning. And I got fired from Denny's. And I was like, I'm looking back at that big sign and was thinking, who gets fired from Denny's? Like, seriously, how bad do you have to be? So I knew I needed to do something else. And I got married, I had a baby when my daughter was eight months old. Her dad and I split up really unexpectedly. So I just thought, you know, I got to figure out a way to work for myself. I got to raise this child. I have no job skills. I have no college. I have no nothing. I just had to figure it out. And I ran into some people that were investors. They said, we buy houses. We fix them up and we sell them. So me, with no experience at all, I was like, they buy houses. They fix them and they sell them. Sounds like decorating. I like to decorate. I'm going to become a decorator. So I legitimately did my first rehab, like no joke. From the depths of my soul, I thought I was going to decorate this house. <laughs> and it was a full rehab. It needed everything. I was at Home Depot taking classes. I did all I did all the stuff. Then I made $22,000 on my first deal. And at that time, well, at any time, but at that time, that was life-changing. So I was like, oh my gosh, I got $22,000. I'm a single mom. I worked on this house. I'm angry at my ex. So this house was you know, a lot of physical work and I got to work out all my anger. I was like, that's the best therapy. And I made money. Nice, and now, awesome. My daughter is 34 years old. It's been a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was the reasoning that you chose real estate? I mean, where you started, it wasn't like you were pushed into it or someone suggested it to you. What was the reasoning where one of those investors you spoke to uh, got you interested in it? Or was there some other reason that you chose it? Now, it's funny, Charles, because pretty much everyone that you're right to talk to they reach out to me because they're interested in being a real estate investor. Like they want to do that. And, you know, in like the eighties, my daughter was born in 88. So this, this may be before your time. We had this thing called a newspaper. <laughs> 
And we had to look in the classified section of the newspaper. And that's where all the jobs were, because there, there was no internet there. I'm, I'm pre-pager. There were no pagers. There was one phone line in your house with a recorder. It was it. And so at that time, there were a lot of uh, ads to meet at banquet rooms. And it was a lot of multi-level marketing. So I really did, I honestly did not have any clue. I wasn't looking for invest. I was looking for something only I could do from home and raise my daughter and not put her in daycare. So I went to all these meetings and all these hotels and I kept seeing some of the same people. So finally I was talking to these guys and they're like dressed really nice and they got nice cars. I'm like, what do you guys do? Like, you know, it's South Florida. I'm like, are you, are you drug dealers or, you know? <laughs> But no, we buy houses and we fix them up and sell them. And I was like, well, tell me what that is. Because this is, I've never heard of this. This is my first time hearing even the terms. They go, well, we buy them, we fix them up, and we sell them, and we buy cars, and we fix those up, and we sell them. And I was like, well, this real estate, like, you know, is we just go to the courthouse. Like, this is legitimately all of my expertise. We go to courthouse, we write down the addresses, we go knock on doors, we tell people that we can you know, buy their house and fix it up. And so that with that little bit of knowledge, <laughs> I thought that sounds like fun. I could do that. I'm a good decorator. I can talk to people. I can knock on doors. Ayla can be in the car with me. I'll try that. And then after I did the first house, I'm, the money was like, to me, that was the most amount of money. I mean, I might as well have been a millionaire with $22,000 in the bank. And I was like, well, that was really fun. And Ayla was with me. And so I still wasn't even, I don't think, fully committed. I thought, I'm going to do another house. I'm going to see because I liked it. Well, my second house, I made $50,000. And I was like, that is it. I am doing this until I'm dead. Because I now have $70,000 in like 1990. And the minimum wage is, I don't know, 4 or $5 or something like that. And I have more money in the bank than I've ever known of any person in the world to have. Like, I'm doing it again. And then, you know, you just keep doing it. Next thing you know, write a book. People have you come and speak. You get a podcast and you buy a town. <laughs> it just blows up from there. <laughs> So tell us about what you, um, you you know, you scaled to doing 2000 houses and how has your investment strategy changed over those years? And you built out the team, I imagine, to assist you with doing all these flips. And are these in different markets? Are these in a certain number of markets? I mean, how did you grow your flipping business to that scale? Well, you know, for about the first decade, um, I ended up teaming up with another girl, Sharon, down there in South Florida. And I was like, you know, two people can probably work better together. It's probably safer for door knocking and things like that. So for that, like that first decade, um, I we did most of the door knocking. We started a REIA, REIA, Real Estate Investors Association. We started a REIA. Um, we started doing bus trips and taking people out. And like, you know, so like some of these houses were sold, you know, in, in bulk because we were doing a lot. But we hired bird dogs in the mm -hmm. beginning. And one of the things I learned way back then, I still do this today. I hired people that were retired. Can you explain what a bird dog? I'm sorry. Can you explain what a bird dog is? I don't think so we really a bird dog is someone that does and does the door knocking and and the looking for me. And we still did quite a bit. I still even now, like twice a month, I'll go down to Denver with 
one of my kids, and I, I like to do it. I go door knocking, see what's happening in the neighborhood, meet people, talk to people. Um, I don't know. I, I still like to do it. I know people probably think that's weird, but I like to do it. <laughs> so it's a weird thing. But uh, so I hired people to do it for me. So, and then I hired someone to go to the courthouse. You know, again, we don't have anything online. So someone has to go physically to the courthouse, write them all down, map them all out. Then I got a guy that is bird dogging for me. And I found out, because I hired all kinds of different people. Uh, my best bird dogs are people that were retired. Because they're retired, they may not have quite enough of a fixed income. And a lot of them are just bored. And yeah. they're like little gray hair, like who's going to say no? <laughs> so I ended up hiring some a bunch of seniors. And they'd go out door knocking. And I'm telling you, these people have got so many deals. Because like, who's going to say no to a little gray haired mom or dad or grandma type of a person you know and um so i don't know i hired that and then you know now you have all the stuff it ads and websites and facebook and you know social media and meetup and all of the stuff but i still do have people that that door knock for me but they still think and what i know not what i think what i know is a lot of the homeowners that are in trouble are not necessarily computer savvy. They're not necessarily on the computer looking for you to pop up in their Facebook ads. In my last three deals, nobody even had a computer in their house. They had their phone and that's all they had. And had a, and they had a stack of mail this high that had postcards and stuff in it. Yeah. I thought, well, if we had not actually gone to the door, we probably wouldn't have got those deals. And those last couple of deals altogether, we made almost a hundred grand. Yeah, I think everyone thinks like, oh, the automation is the best. But if you're dealing with a person that's 50 or above, they don't necessarily have laptops, desktops, the savviness to even find people out there. And, you know, when you, when you deal with homeowners, there's not that many of them that are like 22 years old and they're in foreclosure. Right. They're usually older, married, kids, you know. 50s, 40s, 60s, 70s. Got a guy right now that's 78, lives in all three of his houses. He doesn't even have, he has a phone with the, um, you know, the buttons where you have to hit like A, <laughs> B, like to, <laughs> I forget what that's even called. Like the old school texting. Yeah. He has that. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it's, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you're finding deals doing what other people aren't, and um, you know, going about a different way where you hear the hear these people that are sourcing deals and they're trying to scale it, and they're doing all these different marking methods, but really the tried and true way of really just going to people's houses because some people might not even know that there's a solution available for them, which is what yeah. I've heard before from other people. So yeah, it's like if you're going there and using senior citizens is great because who's going to slam a door on a senior citizen's face or be worried about opening it for a senior citizen. So that's great. That ha That's something I haven't heard before. Um, now, sadly, I am also a senior citizen. <laughs> I am 64. But I went with like, you know, the cool pink hair thing. So I'm thinking they're like, they're probably like, I don't really know how old she is, but I'll talk to her. But senior citizens are the best. You get some, yeah, you get two of them to team up and go door knocking all day. They're great. So our main things is I still have people that door knock. Um, I do mail postcards from time to time. Um, I use uh, Craigslist a lot. It's really shocking. Like I'm stunned how many phone calls I get off Craigslist. And I put a lot of flyers and things out. 
like at the library and at like we have um the grocery stores up here called natural grocers i don't know if they're nationwide they're like a whole foods and in the back of every store there's a big bulletin board and there's the two bathrooms so every single one within 100 miles got one of my flyers on it and i we put them places where people are at yeah grocery stores library schools bulletin boards and you would be surprised it's shocking how many people call you really yeah, it's I, shocking because no one does that yeah it's interesting just a few months ago i have a uh coaching student for multifamily, but he also has a like wholesaling business and he got a call and a lead and a deal out of craigslist and so yeah uh, and he just put up a quick ads he puts them up whatever it is and so here 2023 there are still deals coming through on craigslist and so it's way wholesale yeah. up 150 units uh multi-unit off someone that called me from craigslist they had oh. moved to puerto rico they needed some help they're from this area they mm -hmm. put it on craigslist i put an ad they called me and we we wholesaled a whopping deal oh, yeah nice nice like, so it's craigslist <laughs> yeah it's still there it's still there people it's these free. old yeah yeah it's free it's easy and um you know people are using it but not like they were so i think it's something that no, people like looking for all types of rental properties and i purchased properties off craigslist as well too years back when i used to flip houses yeah. many years back um i i bought houses off that too so there's yeah. there's a lot of stuff we, there's, there's a lot of deals on there we buy a lot of stuff in iowa and you can just go through craigslist and Half the people in there that have a for sale or for rent and for lease, half of them are foreclosure just trying to get rid of it. And the other half just don't want to pay commission. But yeah. <laughs> my daughter and my son in the la and my other in the last year have probably got 15 rentals from just going on Craigslist in Iowa and calling people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You'll have people that still put up there and they see what happens and then you can speak directly to them. So which is which is really yeah. powerful. So um, so one of those, one of the strategies that you're using that uh, I kind of want to break down, I think we've uh, spoken about once or twice on the show before, but is subject to, and uh, mm -hmm. can you talk about this investment strategy and kind of how it works and uh, how the process, let's, you know, explain how the process works for you and how you are going about it. So subject to is one of my favorite, because it's a way, well, so, so I'll explain to people in case you don't know what subject to is. So subject to basically, I find a homeowner and they're in, say they have a house and they're in distress and um, maybe they don't have a lot of equity. Maybe it's not a deal that would be good to sell retail because it needs too much work or I can't wholesale it because there's not enough equity. So we'll do what's called a subject to. So the people deed the house to us. So they deed their house to us. So their name is on the mortgage. Their name was on the deed. Now they deed the house to me and their house, their name is still on the mortgage. So we have this conversation and say, hey, you can deed your house to me. I'm going to rent it or sell it or lease it or whatever I do with it. And uh, I'll make all your payments. And you know, I have an agreement with them basically in five years, I'll get their name off. So these are in the house. And a lot of them are like, well, why would I do that? And I said, well, you've been in and out of foreclosure for like three years, your credit's a wreck. If I make all your payments on time for the next five years, that's going to raise your credit like exponentially. And then I can turn around and put in a, a tenant, a renter, or I do uh, owner financing where I sell it. 
owner financing. So if someone pays me, I'm the bank, and then I pay this homeowner's bank. And so anyway, it's a really good way just to get properties, to build a rental portfolio, to build passive income without having any money out of your pocket or having to get a loan from the bank. And then the first question people go, well, about the due on sale clause. But no bank's ever going to call the due on sale clause. No bank in the history of the world is going to call the due on sale clause if the mortgage payments start coming in. So we take the deed. So let's say I meet you, Charles, and, and I explain you know, you're in trouble and there's not enough equity for me to wholesale. You can't really sell at retail. Da, da, da. Let's do a subject two. You're going to deed to me. I'm going to give you whatever, 5,000 bucks. And we're going to put it into a, a land trust. So it doesn't really show the title transferred. And Charles is going to put it into a land trust and Dwan is the beneficiary. And then I'm going to sign a bunch of papers, lots of papers, power of attorneys, all kinds of stuff in case they die, like all the documents that you could imagine. And they move off and I have it now and I move somebody else in. So it's, I mean, we've done, I don't know, 300 and maybe 85 subject twos. Wow. And they're great. And With you don't need any money. Yeah, with with that scenario, I I see if you have a potential person coming in, and uh, the subject to thing or the um the due on sale thing doesn't really bother me because you're doing it in land trust and stuff like that. But the thing though, or doesn't worry me. Everybody th- asks that question. Yeah, yeah, Everybody. it's yeah. Yeah, my my attorney tells me he's like it's a it's a it's a possibility. However, we've never had it happen before when they do like quick claim into an LLC or something like this. But um, yeah. so with that being said, the main thing is that finding you you have a home seller um or someone that's uh you know i can see someone that is uh, in and out of foreclosure like you said that makes a perfect scenario i would probably make that deal if i was that person with that home because here's a way of getting my payments paid for five years and then i can actually pay off the bank i won't have this hanging over me uh you know right. with what i'm doing and i can move on with my life however well, how does this if i have i'm making the payments I just want a higher price for my property or I'm a little bit behind instead of making up that difference with the bank to sell it, say I'm moving for a job somewhere. I mean, how does that conversation change um, where, cause they're not putting the trust in you because if you want my credit's already ruined, you know, it's not going to be the, you know, it's, we're not going from, you know, great to bad, you know, it's already kind of terrible. So it's, if I've really, you know, everything's going well at the property, I'm making payments and then I have to move. How are you convincing that type of homeowner that, Hey, you can trust me. And what happens if you don't make those payments? You know, I have a perfect scenario. So there was this guy we had, I think, I think we had an ad on Craigslist over Colorado Springs. So I'm in the Denver area. Colorado Springs is like, I know, hour and a half away. It's kind of like Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Like I know you're in, in Florida. Um, and this guy called, his name was Michael. And he said, I have this job. They're transferring me from Colorado to Texas. I have to move in two weeks, but I'm, they're not paying me to move. They're reimbursing me after mm-hmm. I move. He goes, but the job I have is a high security and it requires me to have perfect credit. So he goes, I can't afford to make this payment in Colorado Springs move to Texas and make that payment while this house sells. I don't have enough time to get it sold. So I said, well, here's what we could do. We'll do a subject two. You're going to deed it to me. I promise you, I'll give you my word. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. I will make all the payments on time and I'm going to rent it. And uh, I'll keep it. I'll keep your name on for, 
I think at that point I told him I keep them on for like three years. And I said, and then at that time, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to make the money and whatever there is there to do. And I'll get your name off the mortgage. And this guy didn't know me from Adam. Like we talked on the phone. I went and met him. I looked at his house. I was like, wow, that's a beautiful house. Didn't need nothing. The house was beautiful. But he had to move and he couldn't afford to make payments in two places. Okay. And he'd never heard of a subject too. And I said, you know, I understand it's risky since your job requires you to have good credit for your security clearance. All I can do is just give you my word. I can, you can Google me, just, you know, I can give you some references. He said, no, I'll do the deal. So he did the house to me. He didn't even ask for $1. I said, don't you want any? He said, I don't know what anything. I just, I want you to make the payments. He moved. I actually did a, uh, owner finance on that so i found another couple that wanted to buy a house but didn't have quite enough credit to buy so they gave me twenty five thousand dollars down i gave them a new mortgage so they're paying me i'm paying michael's bank he's off over here i got these people refinanced and stayed within the time frames that i had set and it was perfect for everybody so it is i just think people have to Maybe have some trust or faith. I know they don't know you, but you know, like you know, you meet people, you know. And um, you know, if someone's working with me, they can hey say these are my partners, they've been doing it for like 30 years. So it gives people a little bit of extra credibility. But a lot of people do that. They need to move for a job or they're getting a divorce or something, and they're not credit's not decimated but they don't want it to be, or they can't afford for it to be. So that's where, as an investor, you have to be one of the good guys. You can't be the investor that just takes all these deeds and rents all of them out for, you know, 500 bucks a month and pockets a bunch of money and everybody loses their house. Yeah. Equity skimming. That would be equity skimming. And then people go to jail for that. But investors, people hear and read. So that's their question. Well, what about this? What about that? I don't know how to make payments. What if you don't make the payments? What's my recourse? So you just have to um, just be able to have a conversation and answer all the questions so they feel comfortable to, this is a big step for them, to deed their house away. Because once you're on the mortgage and not on the deed, you don't have any say on anything. No ownership anymore. What happens? So I, I, I will do a subject two on any house at all that is in good shape and has a set mortgage. I won't do it with adjustable mortgages. Yeah. Set interest rate and it's in good enough shape that I can sell it or whatever as it is. I will own and finance those things out all day long. So the one thing I see is that you you know you sell with seller financing, so you're putting that money in the in your pocket that uh, they're giving to you for a down payment. You're giving them another mortgage. How are you incentivizing them to refinance you out uh, so that you can pay off the other mortgage when they're when they're you know when they purchased it? Um, are you giving them like a higher rate than right now what's going on? You know what I mean? So that they're kind of, it makes a lot of financial sense for them because obviously if you give them a lower interest rate, they're not going to refinance you out. Um, they're yeah. they going to wait all the way to the end. So how do you, yeah. how do you do that? How do you structure that where <laughs> it's not like, you know, I don't want to like, you know, overdo it with the people that you're selling it to, but I also want them to actually refinance me out when they can. How do you do that? You do. So I put in a, so, so, so someone deeds their house, because it's two different things here. One is a subject to, someone deeds their house to me. Now I can rent it, I can lease it, I can lease the option to buy, I can own a financing, I can live in it. 
So, so my exit strategy for that house that someone just gave me, I like to do owner financing. Right. So owner financing, I make the interest rate a little as high as I can make it according to all like the Dodd-Frank rules. I make it as high as I can make it. I write in the verbiage of the mortgage that they're going to uh, work with a credit uh, counseling company and in three to five years, they're going to refinance it. And if they don't, then we have to sit down again and we have to do new paperwork. They have to pay um, money to do like, you know, closing and redoing documents. And, and I will raise the interest <laughs> as I go. So it's like, listen, you can stay here or you, and I, I report all of their on-time payments to the credit bureau. It's like, I've reported four years of on-time payments to the credit bureau. Your credit score is now this high. You worked with my guy over here. So now you can refinance it. And I tell them when you refinance it, you'll get a lower interest rate. You know, you can refinance 95% of the value. You guys can pull equity out. It's your house. Nice. You, but So I don't let people go to the end of time because they probably would if you just let them. Yeah, so that makes sense. the language of the mortgage. Now, you used to be able to have like an actual balloon payment. But after like that whole 8, 9, 10, 2000 stuff, and the Dodd-Frank doesn't allow you to do like a balloon per se, but you can have the verbiage in there that you have 36 to 60 months to refinance it, or we have to restructure another um, deal. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Yeah, so it's it's something where your interest rate is going to readjust so many years down the road. So I didn't know it was a whole plan that you provided them. So you're providing them the contact for doing credit counseling. You're providing them with lower interest rate to start. And then it's like, okay, now after you've done this, you have to follow your steps, do what you say. And if you don't, and you don't refinance it out, then this interest rate is going to readjust a little higher. And, um, you know, so okay, that makes that and, makes perfect and, sense. You know, just real quick, then I know we're like on a time frame here. Um, one of the things with the people that I sell it to, that I sell it to, I'm like, listen, I will literally do anything in my power to help you get into this house. They, you know, they give me a really good amount of money, 25, 30,000 on sale. Like people have a shocking amount of cash, but they just don't have quite enough to go to the bank. And, and I always tell them like, you know, this is your house. You get to write off everything like a homeowner, mm -hmm. the taxes, the interest rate, you get to write every single thing off. And if you don't do it, I have this other person. So I tell them there's another person. I have to be held accountable to this guy. So you have to do this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to just make it really difficult. So the other thing I tell them is if for some reason you say, I can't do it, Dwan, or I've tried to keep up with the payments, I can't keep up, call me. I will give you cash for keys. 
we will part ways. I will put nothing on your credit. If you have to move out or you can't do it anymore, you tell me and we will part ways as friends and I will pay you to move out. And out of uh, the 300 something, 380 or something deals, I've had about five people only and all that time that called and said, Duan, I really can't do it. I can't afford the payment. I thought I could. I was at foreclosure before and I'll just take the money and I give them like five grand it's easier to give them five grand to move than them just destroy the house yeah or drag me through the foreclosure process and about five times i think probably i've, I've had to give people uh money and they left the place in beautiful condition but i also stay engaged I, like every couple you know twice a couple times a year hey swan how you doing how you doing yeah. your payments everything good i hear you haven't talked to the credit guy for a while so i kind of uh. stay in touch with them to make sure, because I don't want everyone to go into foreclosure or file bankruptcy on me, because I know how long that can take, and I have to make the payments because I told this guy I would. Yeah, no, I've I found it where, yeah, it's it's something where I've had to deal with tenants before, where it's like, and um, you know, less, you know, properties that maybe aren't the nicest, and it would be, um once they get in or they get what they want, then everything else, you know, they want to renegotiate the deal a little bit and, or they're not following through what they're saying, like you're saying with the credit bureau. So it's really having to keep engagement, having to make sure they're doing it. It's, this is not a strictly passive investment after it's done. You know what I mean? So it's definitely something where you have to keep in contact I with them. And I know a lot of people don't, but I know that I know that if someone says to me, like, hey, you can live here and here's the deal, because they have a mortgage, they have everything, they own the house, you know, mm -hmm. and it's their house, they have a mortgage, they have the whole thing, everything's filed at the courthouse, like it's the same as the Bank of Dewan. But I also know that if you from time to time just say hi, or from time to time you send a gift basket or something, they're less inclined to want to just move out in the middle of the night or yeah. not make the payments or drag you through foreclosure because they feel obligated that you helped them in the beginning. So I, for me personally, now a lot of people just hardcore, they do it. They have servicing companies. They never talk to the people again. So you're really super hands off, but I just find that, you know, they're coming to me. These people are coming to me in the first place because they can't go to a bank. Yeah. So they already had some credit issue and I do run their credit. And if it was like a blip, but they've had 20 years of just on, nothing's on time, I'm not going to do it. But if I see good credit, good credit, health issue, a couple of years of a blip, now back on track, I'm like, hey, I will give you a chance until the banks will take you back. So I'm, you know, I'm servicing people that they can't quite go to a bank, but they're not like deadbeats. Yeah, I got you. A decade of bad credit, you ain't living in one of my house. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing is right because you're only having one percent of your deals come back. So it's something that, uh, yeah. So um, one one thing before we switch off this topic is that um, we talked about a little bit of sourcing deals. How are you sourcing deals? Because this isn't your common. Um, hey, I have a utility shutoff list, and this person's utilities got cut off, so I know that they need something done. You have someone that's moving that has on time payments, as you said before, a beautiful house, going for a job. I mean, and then you have someone that maybe is in and out of foreclosure. So you have both realms, right, of spectrum here that you're kind of working with. How do you, what, what are some of the best ways you found to, uh, to you know, find these deals? To find the deals for people subject to me? 
or find the people to sell them to? I think selling deals would probably be a little easier. I'm saying to find the deals that are because you're, you know, it's it's not a, you know, you're not just finding troubled homeowners, right? I mean, obviously that's going to be one route of, yeah. So it's the person that moved away, getting a new job, stuff like that. So they're not going to be something that shows up on any list because everything they've done is correct, right? Um, so how yeah. are you, how do you best find prospects for acquiring their house in a subject to format? Oh. A lot of people like that will call me off of like my Craigslist ads. Okay, we buy houses in shape and condition, cash, whatever, you know. So a lot of them find me because they're, they don't know what to do. Um, I also, I do, uh, I do mailing, but like, I think most people just mail the people that are in foreclosure. I have found that over 30 years of doing mailings, the best thing that works for me personally is I'll buy a zip code. And maybe there's 5,000 single family homes in that zip code. And I mail them a postcard, but my postcard is a half a page. And it, it doesn't say anything about, I want to sell. It said, well, my postcard says is, um, are you uh, going through a divorce with a question mark? Did you have an unexpected job transfer? A question mark. Are you facing foreclosure? Question mark. Did you have unexpected death in the family? Question mark. Is there an illness in your family? Question mark. We have solutions to all your property problems. Call for a free and confidential phone consultation. And then I just farm neighborhoods. So like twice a year, the people will get a postcard. And I have gone to people's houses and go, I got this postcard four months ago. <laughs> and my husband and I were getting ready to split up. So I stuck it in my drawer so I could call you after he moved out. So my postcards don't say anything about we're looking to buy a new neighborhood. We're looking to buy houses, cash. I just listed a house down the street. None of that. It's all, do you have these problems? And if you do call for a free and confidential phone consultation, no charge, no pressure, no nothing. And, and people will call and say, Hey, I got this postcard and -and so-and-so died or, my husband and their wife has cancer and this and that. And what can you do to help us? So I I, I farm, but I think I kind of farm a little different. Because yeah. I get postcards all the time. I sold the house down the street for this much money. Yeah. Your house is I'm just like, oh. And then I get the big bright yellow or pink or orange. I buy houses cash. It's like, no. I just thought it was trash. Yeah. No, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, it's because it's, you know, the subject to adds another kind of tool to your toolbox of what you can do where really when a deal comes, because if there's not enough equity in the deal, which you'll see with properties that haven't been bought in the last few years, um, yeah. if you find if you have a deal that's, you know, that did the seller uh, bought 10 plus years ago, they probably have that equity and you probably can do that, um, you know, a cash deal on that, but it's sometimes you don't. So that's great. Something deal that you'd be throwing away or not. So um, and some of them that we've just done, they've only had mortgages for like two years. They've defaulted yeah. like in the first year or two. So there's no equity, but the house is really nice. It's like, well, I can raise the interest rate, you know, 2% and I can raise the value of the price of the house 10%. So if it's $200,000 house, I'll offer it out for 220. Mm-hmm. So I'll raise it because in five years, it'll probably be worth 220. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get a down payment. And it's like, okay, worst case, they don't make the payments. I still have their down payment money, which, you know, yeah. I spend. But, <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I would put it all in the bank. So if I had to default, I could make the payments and not be like freaked out about how I was going to do that. Yeah. But after a while, you're like, ah, I'm just going to spend the money. I'm going to buy something else with it. I'm going to invest it someplace else. 
So there's, you know, and I did a lot of trial and error on um, my very first subject too. I didn't know to have all this stuff in writing. And the first one I ever did, the woman gave me like 20,000 down. She was divorcing her husband. She couldn't be on any, anything that could be found on the, um, through like a credit search or something. And I was a fairly, like within two or three years of being an investor. So I first subject to deal and she kind of owed what it was worth. And she, this girl gave me a down payment, but I spent it. But then she refinanced a year later. And I was like, well, shoot, her payoff and this payoff are like, it was a deficit. And I had to come up with some money. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing that again. I need to raise the value of the house a little more, yeah. change interest rate, keep some money. You know, once her divorce is over, she's like, yeah, I'm ready to pay the house off in cash. And I had to come up with like 10 grand. So the numbers were too tight. Right. Interesting. So, okay. and, so that was my first one. And I still went back and did it again. I was like, well, okay, I see the value. I obviously need a little bit more education on it. And yeah. now it's just like, I've got a whole program and package with every single contract, everything you need. So you don't have that happen to you. Yeah. Edit the strategy yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> my first one was a complete debacle. <laughs> uh, that's how it usually is with people with their first deal. It was for me. So, um, so Duan, what are some common mistakes you see real estate investors make over decades of being an investor and then also coaching them now? Um, you know what, honestly, and I know this might sound really basic to people. People are chasing too many shiny objects. Oh. You know, they hear me talk and they, oh, I'm going to buy Dwan's program. And then they hear Charles, oh, I'm going to work with Charles. Then they hear, oh, I'm going to work over here. And they just keep, they keep like buying or getting on webinars of like 50 different people. And then there's so much information. They don't really know where to start. So I tell people like, listen, even if you don't work with me, get on a few webinars, find one person that you really like and start with one person. You cannot take a sliver of everything and make a new wheel because we've already all invented this wheel. So you, so I think that's a, one of the biggest is people, they or they think they have to learn every single thing before they can talk to their first homeowner. So if they get a question or an objection, they're like, oh, what do I say? I need to know everything. And then they spend so much time learning that I think they, uh, what do they call that? Uh, paralysis of analysis yeah, or something analysis like that. paralysis. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like, oh, I, you know, and they, they think they have to learn. I, I have people, I, I'm coaching this very minute. And this guy's like, well, if they say this or that, what do I do next? So it's like, did anybody say that? No. Have you had the conversation? No. Then we don't need to talk about it. You go have a conversation and you come back and tell me what they said. <laughs> so, yeah, but, no, yeah. But you know, people do it. They're like, oh, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to rehab. I'm going to buy multifamily. I need to learn from 85 people and then pick and choose what I like and try to make it work. And it doesn't work. You end up just spinning. You do a deal here and a deal there. And then you're like, oh, let's say it's not that much fun. And they quit. And if they just would have focused in on one thing or one person or two people, I feel like everybody would be more successful. You yeah. don't need to be all over the map. You don't need to know everything to start. You just need to know the first step. And then you learn the second step after you do the first step. Yeah, I think the focus is a huge thing. And so many times yeah. I've spoken to people just in this industry, they're like, oh, I'm all in on this. And then you'll speak to them six or eight months later. And it's something else, whether it's outside of real estate or just another niche within it. 
and you're just not going to make yeah. progress if you haven't if you haven't really narrowed down exactly what you're doing and then go deep into that niche. And obviously down the road, yes, you can expand a little bit, but initially when you're starting, you got to go really thin and deep kind of in in there and f- figure out exactly what you I, want to I do. Think, I mean, I talk to people all the time. They go, oh, I bought, you know, this person, that one on TV, this one, this one, this one, this one. I've got yeah. 10 grand here, five grand there, 20 grand there. I don't have any money to invest now. It's like, yeah. okay, but with what you have, you have enough money, you have enough invested, you have enough information. I know for a fact to do a deal. But everyone thinks different ways. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And people are just all over the map. It's like, oh my God, just tune into <laughs> someone. If you like me and like crazy hair and that, then work with Juan. Like Charles's way, then work with Charles. And you can work with a few people, but stop buying, especially stop buying all the stupid, make a hundred million dollars while you're sleeping. This will just print checks and mail them to you. It's like, ugh, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> if it worked, every person on the face of the earth would be doing it. Right, for sure, for sure. So as we're finishing up here, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Juan? Well, super easy. Um, Dwanderful. So I took Dwan and wonderful and I made a new word. Dwanderful. So everything is Dwanderful. And people can go to dwanderful.com and opt in. I have a free ebook, Flip Your Way to a Fortune. We're going heavy on the pink and purple. And <laughs> dwanderful.com, Dwanderful on Instagram, Facebook, Dwantastic on TikTok. Because, you know, I'm also fantastic. So I'm Dwantastic. So just hit me up, check me out, watch some of my videos. I have so much free training and so much stuff out there. And if you like it, work with me. And if you don't, that's okay. Pick yeah. There's a, a lot of information start, on your, start. yeah, just there's a lot start. of, a lot of information on your website, a lot of information on your podcast. So if anybody's interested in flipping or subject to or anything like that, definitely check out Dawn and I'll put the, her link to her website in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.